Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Over at HealedBeing.com, I help people who want to stop hurting those they love. That might sound a little strange to some people because they might say, well, why don't you just stop the behavior? Why don't you just stop treating people you care about badly? If you had told me that about 15 years ago, I might have said, I treat them great. I'm kind. I'm generous. I'm supporting and loving. I treat them like the most important thing in the world as long as they do what I want. Mm, If that isn't emotional abuse, I don't know what is. And that kind of thinking and behavior is what I help to not only stop, but help to heal the old beliefs and old trauma responses that lead to that kind of behavior in the first place. If you hurt the people you care about and you'd like to stop that behavior, or if you just want to figure out the healthiest behavior you can bring to all of your relationships, get the first four lessons of Healed Being for free over at HealedBeing.com. No credit card needed to sign up. HealedBeing.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but What do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. All right, I'm going to create a new segment that I'll probably never use again called Off the Cuff. Off the Cuff. I'm going to just read an email off the cuff and see where I go. Uh, Like I said, I'll probably never use this again, but we'll see what happens. This is Off the Cuff. This person wrote... Hi, I'm from this city, I'm not going to tell you, Uh, and I absolutely love your podcast, I'm trying to keep anonymity here, and you have helped me so much. I have a question, and maybe many do, and are afraid to ask, how do you handle a sister-in-law, married to my husband's brother, who talks about everyone? She is a bully, and everyone bows down to her. There are times I feel I need her validation in order to feel good. I have been basically kissing her but for 30 years, I'm tired of it, and I don't feel strong enough to break away. I text, I call, and when I ask why she doesn't ever call me, she says she's busy. I want to smack myself for being weak. Think you can help? <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at your final question. I uh, think I can help. I don't know if I can help, but I'm going to give you some insights and opinions. Um, I, I haven't had time to think about this, so I'm going to look at this very fresh and probably give you my thought process. First thing is uh, you have a sister-in-law, so she is not even a blood relative. She is your husband's brother, uh, married to your husband's brother, and she talks about everyone. Okay, let's start, let's start right there. She talks about everyone. Um, 
who cares? <laughs> I'm not saying that to you. I'm thinking if this was me, I would say, who cares? She talks about everyone. That's her thing. And when uh, you have somebody like that, the gossiper, the person who's telling all the stories, I think that everyone feels like you. She talks about everyone. She's always gossiping. And, you know, people know those kind of people. I'm not putting those people down. Sometimes I like to gossip. <laughs> but I I think that from the rest of your email, you're saying that this person is more than just uh, someone who's always in people's business and nosy and talking about it and um, spreading secrets or, I don't know, spreading lies. But what I'm getting from your message is, uh, especially when you said she's a bully and everyone bows down to her, everyone feels the same about her. So there's really nothing you need to say because everyone probably feels the same way about her as you do. So that part where she talks about everyone and everyone bows down to her, I'm going to assume that everyone feels the same way about her. So it's not like you have to single her out. You could, of course, you could single her out and tell her how you feel. I'm all for that. But um, you'll make waves, and that's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't make waves, but it just depends on the relationships that you want to keep and the relationships that you don't mind losing. So this is kind of my first point, where you have a relationship in your life that you may or may not want to keep. If it's your husband's brother's wife, and you all get together, or you are around each other at certain functions or events, you may want to keep the peace. And keeping the peace, does it have to include bowing down to her and kissing her butt? No, it doesn't. And um, if you want to keep the peace, you may want to behave or react differently. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think that um, when you have somebody like that in your life, you have to determine if you want to keep them in your life or not, and if it's worth making waves. So that's the first place I go with this. Is it worth making waves? Because as soon as you make waves, she could make your life a lot more difficult unless you're so intimidating that she doesn't want to deal with you I'm not giving you that advice but this can happen too you can show up as so intimidating that somebody doesn't want to deal with you I don't want you to be intimidating I don't want you to have to be a bully I don't want you to have to stoop down to her level so I don't think you're going to go there and that's fine and I'm not suggesting that anybody ever goes there but that's how I've seen some bullies back off is when somebody else is more intimidating than them. And again, that's not advice. That's not a suggestion. It's just an observation, a psychological phenomenon. And uh, I wanted to mention that because uh, there are people that bullies don't want to deal with. They don't want to deal with bigger bullies. So if she's a bully and you're a bigger bully, that might be a problem too. <laughs> again, not going there, but I'm just mentioning a psychological phenomenon that can happen. So uh, let's get back to what maybe you can do regarding um, her. You know, you, you didn't give me any examples of how she bullies. It would be interesting to have an example. But let's just say she's demanding and controlling. You can just say no. Go get me some water now. 
no, you can get it yourself. Now, that might upset her. You know, if she said something like that, go get me some water, and you didn't. But um, this is where you start to show up as somebody who can't be bossed around because bullies have a tendency to boss people around who get bossed around. I might call it enabling. I might call it them knowing you're a victim and continuing to treat you as a victim because you are a victim and they made you a victim. They put you there. So it is very similar to enabling, but it's difficult because I I can't call it enabling because then that blames the victim. I'm not doing that at all. I've been a victim many times and I've enabled it, but I don't call it enabling. I just call it, um, if you don't change, they don't change be in a safe zone if I say that. If you don't change, they won't change. If you don't stop doing what they want you to do, they will continue doing what they want to do. That's really what it comes down to. So that person's not going to change unless you do. That's the second part of this. It's very difficult. How can that person change if you continue to show up the same way? And that's what you're asking, I know. You're asking... Uh, Is there anything I can do? This leads to another part of the email, which I'll try to tie in uh, everything when I'm done. She's a bully and everyone bows down to her. There are times I feel I need her validation in order to feel good. Now, this was interesting because you threw a curveball at me. You said, um, this person is a bully and she talks about everyone. And what should I do? And then you said, there are times I feel like I need validation from her. I have been basically kissing her butt for 30 years. Okay, so maybe it's not so much a curveball because I think I know what you're saying now. Uh, What you're saying is if I can impress her or get her to acknowledge me or get her to see that I'm worthy, that she'll treat me better. Because maybe you think that she has some sort of power over you or you may have low self-worth and you feel that if somebody puts you down, you take it very personally, like... It's true. And if that's the case, that might be the very first thing you have to work on. And it has very little to do with her except that she triggers you in some way. So somebody comes along and they bully you or they're intimidating and you want validation from them. I can think of some parents like this. Uh, What I think should happen is you need to reflect on how you feel about yourself And if you feel that you are worthy of being treated with kindness and respect, I think that's a very important step to take. You need to acknowledge, and I think I talked about this last week too, you need to acknowledge in yourself that you are worthy of kindness and respect. And almost get to the point where you require it of others. Can you require kindness and respect from others? Because really, when it comes to somebody like this, what's the worst case scenario? Is she going to hit you? Do you think she's going to hit you, even though you you know, logically know she won't? Or will she smear you with your friends or her friends or her family or your family? I mean, they're all mixed together because you're related by marriage. Um, if she smears you, can you be okay with that? Again, when you have one person that really stands out and everyone's bowing down to her, these people don't want to bow down to her. 
I can almost guarantee these people do not want to bow down to somebody like this. They only do it because, like you, they don't want to make waves or they don't want to make her mad because it gets worse and it's just hard to deal with somebody like this who gets worse. So they try not to be confrontational. They try not to do anything that might agitate her. So they back off, they bow down, whatever they need to do. And then um, this person gets to be who they are continually. Because if the victim doesn't change, the bully doesn't change. If the victim doesn't do something different, the bully will continue doing the same thing. And so we're in this very toxic cycle that never ends, ever. It never ends because the bully or the toxic person has zero reason to change if the other person is still the victim. Write that down. A toxic person has zero reason to change if the other one, if the person they're victimizing stays a victim. Zero reason. Because the toxic person feeds off of their victimization. And if you think of yourself as fuel for their fire, you might be able to connect the dots. Like, what satisfies her? Does your crying satisfy her? Does your backing off or not defending yourself or not being confrontational satisfy her? Because what will probably happen with this person, if anybody ever confronted her, is this person will get angry and will bite your head off and will yell at you or they'll reach into some unhealthy coping mechanism to become highly defensive and make you not want to deal with their defensiveness and then become highly offensive trying to push you away because they are not um, emotionally, I don't want to say intelligent enough, but emotionally prepared to actually have a decent conversation when somebody confronts them or disagrees with them because they haven't learned. And it often takes someone to come along and say, hey, back off. I deserve to be treated with respect. If you don't treat me with respect, I'm going to stop talking to you. And then she might get mad and hold a grudge forever. But you've said your piece. You've placed a boundary. You've drawn a line. And when you do that with some people, you might change the dynamic forever. And yes, this can affect your entire situation, the, the whole dynamic of your family situation. Now your husband's brother is angry because you upset his wife, even though she was the difficult one. But you decided to stand up for yourself. So that could be why you don't confront. That could be why you don't do it. I personally don't care. <laughs> Not about your situation. I mean, if this were me, I personally don't care if I've offended the person disrespecting me. And I don't care if I've offended her husband. I don't care. And I would expect my partner to be on my side. So in your case, that would be your husband. And if you told your husband, hey, look, your brother's wife, she's very disrespectful and she's very pushy and controlling and I don't want to accept that anymore. I can't accept that anymore. So the next time I see her, I might say something or at least the next time she tries to push me you know, verbally or whatever. She, if I feel pushed, if I feel confronted by her, I'm going to stand up for myself. Will you back me up? <laughs> if he says no because it's my brother's wife and I don't want to make waves, 
then you can say, look, I'm going to back myself up then, which is sad because you'd think that your husband would have your back, but your husband's in a situation too. He doesn't want to upset his brother, maybe. But, you know, he's your husband. He's going to be with you, hopefully, for the rest of your life. But he has family, and how do you choose? So there's a difficulty there, but he should support you if you want to stand up for yourself. And in my opinion, should support you if you feel disrespected and maybe should also stand by your side and say, look, back off. You can't treat my wife like this. This is my wife. This is the love of my life. We treat you with kindness and respect. Why can't you treat her or me even? Maybe your husband is also experiencing this. I know this takes how can I say this? Cojones. <laughs> this takes some guts. It takes some courage to say anything knowing that the whole dynamic could change. And I'm not even saying that you need to change the dynamic. I'm not even saying you need to confront. You could do something called gray rock. Gray rock is turning off your emotions around certain people. Like an android. An android doesn't have emotions, at least not yet. <laughs> but let's just say that all androids don't have emotions and that is called gray rock because a dull gray rock that you might find on the ground is basically an emotionless piece of matter. You show up as a dull gray rock. So when the bully, the intimidator, the controller, the manipulator, when they come up and try to do their best on you, you don't have an emotional response back. That's challenging, uh, but it is effective because most, I would say 99% of intimidating, controlling any type of toxic people, 99% of them are looking for your emotional response so they know how to act next. It's the sequence of events that they are subconsciously and sometimes consciously prepared for. They want you to get angry. They want you to give that sad look. They want you to get that surprised look. They want you to stammer in your words when they say something awful. They want it. They want your emotional response because that helps them make their next move. If you don't have an emotional response, they don't know how to act next. So this is my next uh, part of my answer for you. I think I'm doing pretty good off the cuff. I'm doing what I can to help you through this without having thought of it because I put myself in your situation and I think, okay, what would I do? And what would happen if I did that? And do I want that to happen? And what do I want to happen? And of course, my favorite question, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? When I go there, I think, okay, what would I do? And I already said what I do. I'd say, look, you need to back off because I deserve respect, I deserve kindness, and you're not being respectful or kind right now. So when you're ready to be respectful or kind, we'll talk. But um, if you can't do that, I understand. That's what's where you are right now, and that's fine. Uh, but I don't want to be a part of that. So I'm going to back off, and when you're ready, come and you know we'll talk. I'm happy to talk. I know it's it's crazy that it would be that easy, but it's not. I know it's never that easy with toxic people. The toxic person wants a reaction. The toxic person wants an emotional response. So gray rocking them gives them no emotional response. What might that look like? I'll use this example. Uh, they 
tell you that you did something wrong. You're so bad at that. I can't believe how long you've been doing it and you're still awful at that. If you heard that, that's kind of offensive. Wow, that was not very nice. So the gray rock reply might be ignoring them. Just ignore them. Don't give them the look of surprise. Don't give them the look of sadness. Don't give them any look. And if they say something like, well, aren't you hurt by that? Aren't you upset that I said that? You might want to ignore them again. The face is the most important part here. Don't make any faces and say, no, I'm not bothered at all. Well, don't you have anything to say about it? No, it's your opinion. So gray rock is <laughs> just a bland, very benign, very non-triggering response, even though they'll be triggered. Because what happens with a toxic person is that they want that emotional response so they can justify their own trigger. They want to have permission to be toxic. Their permission is your reaction. If you have a reaction, it justifies in their mind that they are allowed to be toxic. They don't think they're toxic. They think they're right. They think that you're wrong. They think that uh, the world revolves around them and that everyone is out to get them, so they better get other people first. I'm sure that's not 100% true for all toxic people, but that's typically what it is. The world is against me. They're out to get me, so I'm going to attack you first. I'm going to push my toxicity onto you so that I don't have to deal with your toxicity, even though you might not be toxic at all. They just have trouble coping because they have poor coping mechanisms. So they spew what they can't handle back onto you so that they don't have to learn how to handle the world's challenges. They don't have to learn how to handle what comes at them. So they push it back onto you. And so you're in this situation where they're disrespectful, they're unkind, and there are multiple ways to respond to that. My personal favorite is, I have a boundary, you're crossing it, please step back. But you may not want to make that dynamic because what if they do become a problem or a challenge later? Then what? Oh no, now your brother-in-law doesn't like you anymore and your husband is having a family conflict. You can stick by your guns and say, look, I'm happy to make friends with her. Well, she wants you to apologize. I'm happy to have that conversation with her. Let's all get together. <laughs> if she wants me to apologize, I'm happy to talk to her doesn't mean I'm going to apologize, but I'm happy to talk to her. Maybe we can just sort this out. Let's all have a conversation. You know, this is very similar to Grey Rock, where you're not having an emotional response. Emotional responses can be used against you by toxic people. That's another thing. If you have emotional responses around toxic people, I mean, this is a great thing to um, kind of note in your mind. When I respond this way, how do they react? So think about this. If you're around any toxic people that you wonder, wow, you can't get anywhere with them. When you have this type of emotional response or make this face or say these words or do this behavior, how do they respond? How do they, how do they react? Because if you look sad, what do they do? Do they say something? Do they do something? Do they smile? Do they get angry? 
Because if you know, if you can pay attention to your own emotional responses, you can start to change their reactions. This is why when you change, they change. This is something that I uh, practiced (laughs) for a long time because I had low self-worth for a long time. Actually, there was a part of my life I had high self-worth, and that was when I was jerkier. (laughs) But then there's a part of my life that I had low self-worth because people kept leaving my life, and I didn't think I was worth being loved. And there was a part of my life like that. So I went through different phases. But I, I started practicing having uh, different responses to different things. And it was, I had to think about it really carefully because there were times that I responded in an offended way. Like, oh, that, that really hurts. Ouch. You know, this is what I think or feel in my mind and my heart. Oh, that hurts what they just said. Or that makes me really angry what they just said. I'm not dumb. I'm not an idiot. That's one example I actually have from my current relationship where my girlfriend, when we first started, uh, I think living together, we were in the kitchen and she said, well, you're an idiot. You're just an idiot. And instead of yelling back, you know, being angry, I'm not an idiot, you're an idiot, which is what a lot of us would do, right? I'm not an idiot, you're an idiot. Or we would feel very offended. We'd feel very saddened that someone we love said that to us. Instead of doing any of that stuff, which might have been one of my old reactions, I laughed. I just, just, okay. And I just laughed. I think that's what I might have said. Okay. (laughs) And she was still, I forget if she was really angry or just upset about something. And she said, why are you laughing? And I realized at that moment that immediately the dynamic changed. There was no more argument. There was no more upset. It was just, I shifted gears. I, I, I caused the train to move on to a different track. And so when she said, why are you laughing? I said, you know, I think I would be upset if that were true. I said something like, that. I think I would be upset if that were true. But since I know it's not, it's funny to me. <laughs> and, uh, she paused and then she started smiling And we both realized, fortunately, that whatever we were talking about, it didn't really matter anymore. And, of course, I don't really believe she thinks I'm an idiot. She has called me, I don't want to say brilliant. (laughs) She has said that I'm a pretty smart fella, in so many words. In a way that's not a reverse of those words, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And uh, she said, you're a pretty smart guy. You're great at this. You're great at that. And she has complimented me up and down with her friends. So I feel really good. I feel loved. I feel worthy in her eyes. So when she said something like that, you're an idiot, I just laughed. Not because she said all those other things, but because I know who I am. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know yourself so well and be proud of yourself and respect yourself and know that you are worthy of other people's respect. So when somebody tries to disrespect you, it's almost laughable because you know you are more worthy than that. It's ridiculous in your mind. You know, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Of course I'm worthy of respect. What you're doing now is laughable. 
Look at you trying to disrespect me. It's like a, a chicken trying to drive the space shuttle. It's just funny watching you uh, squirm like this. I'm, I'm not being serious here. I'm just being joking. But this is how I feel. I feel like if you know yourself and you love yourself and you know that you are smart, maybe not in everything, maybe not in a lot of things, or maybe in a lot of things, but if you know you're smart, if you know how to turn a screw with a screwdriver, you're smart. If you know how to hammer a nail, you're smart. If you know how to write your name, you're smart. If you know how to think, you are smart. If you know you're smart, if you know that you are worthy of love and respect and kindness, if you know that about yourself, then when somebody comes along and tries to push their toxicity down your throat, you will have a different reaction. You will know that what they're trying to do is coming from their own insecurities, their own inability to communicate effectively, their own old trauma. You know, they might have been brought up not feeling loved, or maybe they were hurt as a child. Maybe they were abused, and they don't know how to treat other people because during their imprinting years or because they learned terrible coping mechanisms growing up in a, a household that required coping, that they brought these dysfunctional behaviors into their adult world and started treating everyone else like this. Which leads to another response that I might have with a person like this. And I think I'm going to take a quick break here and get to that response right after this. It's uh, something a little different, a different direction. Be right back after this. You know, I wasn't old enough when the fax machine came up, but I was old enough when the internet started um, being a thing. Women's that 90s or something, or late 80s. And when it started being a thing, the fax machine started becoming less and less of a thing, even though for some reason people still use it today. But today, we know how to send messages without a fax machine. And I thought, this is it. This is a revolution. And this is exactly how I feel about Amazon Pharmacy. I know Amazon has a pharmacy. This is something I had just learned and I was so excited about because I don't know about you, but I've had to stand in uh, quite the long line at the pharmacy and not only for myself, for my girlfriend too. I, when she's had her mouth surgery and foot surgery, I had to stand in line and wait. And I thought it would be a lot easier if I could just have these things delivered. And that's what Amazon's doing. Amazon Pharmacy delivers a better pharmacy experience that delivers directly to your door and works with most insurance plans. You know Amazon, they're going to help you save time, save money, and stay healthy. And on top of that, they make sure all their pricing is transparent. You know what you'll pay before you pay it. And if you're a Prime member, you can save up to 80% on your prescriptions. Not only that, they have real pharmacists that are always available at Amazon Pharmacy no matter what time of day or night. This is a no-brainer on the overwhelmed brain. This is a no brainer a pharmacy that works for your life with meds delivered to your door it doesn't get any better than that switch to amazon pharmacy and save time save money and stay healthy 
learn more at amazon.com forward slash Paul. Yes, that's my name, P-A-U-L. That's amazon.com forward slash Paul, and that'll take you directly to the pharmacy page, amazon.com forward slash Paul. Average savings based on usage and inside Rx data as compared to cash prices. Average savings for all generics are 78%, 37% for select brand medications. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Like I said, I want to give you a slightly different direction with this on responding or reacting to a toxic person. And uh, the direction I want to go is complete and total compassion and love. And this might be my final answer to you, and I'm not sure if any of these help, but let's just say that they are uh, acting from a place of trauma, which I believe they are. It may not have been abuse. It may not have been what some people might call trauma, but to them, they are being abusive and toxic because they have been abused, or at least their perception has been that they have been abused or neglected through some sort of trauma. So can we look at someone like this and have so much love and compassion for them that when they say something, it's almost as if it's a cry for help? And I'm not saying you have to be a rescuer. I'm not saying that you treat them as a victim. I'm saying you see their toxic behavior as coming from a very painful place inside them. Because people who are that toxic, they don't feel good inside themselves. They have something going on inside of them that causes them to be that way. So when you have somebody that's that toxic and you just want them to stop and you think they're an adult, they should make the right decisions and stop, they still may be coming from a childlike place of fear and they learn how to cope from a place of fear. They learn how to survive because they're afraid. You know, when we're children, if we're in a very difficult, neglectful, abusive, whatever situation, we're going to come up with different ways to cope with those situations. And one of those coping mechanisms might be to withdraw. Another one might be to run away. Another one might be to lash out, lash back at them. Uh, rebel. There's all kinds of ways we cope. And if we don't deal with those coping mechanisms, if we don't heal from this old trauma or this old abuse or whatever it is, then those coping mechanisms transform into different behaviors, often different behaviors, when we're adults. Because we may not have been able to talk back to the toxic parent that raised us, but we as an adult can now talk back to the person we're upset at, which might be our partner or friend or family, now we can do it because they're not the toxic parent. I'm just using this as an example if you had a toxic parent. And if they did have a toxic parent and that toxic parent stepped into the picture, guess what? They'll change back to that state of mind they were in when they were a child. Oh no, my parent's in the picture. Uh, I can't be aggressive anymore. I can't be toxic anymore. Again, not their words, but giving you a picture. And because they can't be that way, they're going to become probably more submissive and uh, let the parent control them. So this is another thing about this, is that this is how they control their world. 
toxic person shows up to control the world and the people in it. Because if they control the world and the people in it, they can't be attacked. If I put you in your place, then you can't come back at me. If I know exactly how to make you feel, then you won't make me feel what I don't want to feel. This is how I would control you if I were the controller, the, the manipulator, the bully, whatever. The toxic person wants to control you and the world around them so that they don't have to deal with what they don't want to deal with. Because if you say, hey, don't treat me like that, it's going to be something that uh, might throw them off, might make them angry, because now they have no control. And they believe you're attempting to uh, push them out of control. Again, this may not be what they think, but what's happening is you're keeping your power and they aren't taking it. You are preventing them from taking your power. Your personal power is your ability to make decisions based on what you want, not what you fear. And when you make decisions based on what you want, you usually get more of what you want. When you make decisions based on what you fear, you usually get more of what you fear. How does this work? The example is in our face right now. This person has a sister-in-law that is bullying and intimidating, and so the sister-in-law comes into the picture, and what does this person do? They make decisions based on fear. They bow down. They look for validation from the toxic person in order to feel good. That's definitely a self-worth issue. I have episodes on self-worth over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Definitely check that out because you need to feel so worthy that nobody else can take that worth away. And you also don't need anybody else's opinion about who you are when you know who you are. And it's just getting into that space of knowing you are worthy knowing that you deserve kindness and respect so that other people don't take your power away. Now I'm going to finish this email. She says, I've been kissing her butt and I'm tired of it, but I don't feel strong enough to break away. And then she says, I even text and call and I even ask her why she doesn't ever call me. And she says she's busy. This definitely sounds like you might be missing something in your life and you believe that this person can fill it in some way. So I might ask you to either write down or think about what's missing in your life and what she fulfills or what gaps she fills in your life when she fills them or what gaps you're trying to fill with this other person so that you understand exactly why you're doing what you're doing when you reach out to her. Because you're looking to fulfill something inside of you. You're looking to replace what's missing. That's what you're doing. Because you wouldn't normally reach out to someone like this unless you believed they could fulfill you in some way or replace what's missing. So let's just say that you have something missing inside you. Maybe you feel that she is right. And if you do feel she is right, what haven't you done in your life that you feel like you should do? This doesn't mean you're listening to her and doing what she says. I just want to make sure that you feel good, or if you don't feel good, about the things that you've done in your life, about the decisions that you've made in your life. Of course, we've all made decisions that we don't feel good about, but are you forgiving? This might be the last part of this. Are you self-forgiving? 
Are you forgiving yourself? Because sometimes we've done things in our life or show up in ways that uh, were unbecoming of us and maybe not the best version of us. So I forgive myself and I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on because if I continue looking in the rearview mirror, uh, I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm always going to think badly about myself because that is my perception of myself, my past. Of course, we're going to think badly about ourselves if we're looking in the rearview mirror at ourselves, doing stuff that we don't uh, appreciate and we feel bad or guilty or ashamed about. Of course, we're not going to feel worthy. So do you have any of these skeletons in your closet that you need to make up for or make amends for that you need to apologize for? You might think, well, I have a lot of those. (laughs) We all have something that we wish we hadn't done. But it doesn't mean that we're held back. In fact, this is how I look at anything that I feel guilty about. Have I done something today that makes up for what I did in the past? The example I've used before is when I was in my 20s, I took my two wonderful cats to the Humane Society. And I don't know what happened to them. I don't know. And I feel sad Every time I think about it, every time, because I was too young and too stupid and I didn't care about animals like I do now. So I just took them away. I didn't want to deal with them. They were peeing on the carpet. I didn't even think about it. They were just a bother to me. It was a very selfish thing. This is how I feel. It was a very selfish thing and I feel bad that I ever did it. So can I forgive myself and move on? Well, it was hard because forgiving myself meant moving on and Does that mean I don't learn the lesson? Does that mean uh, I shouldn't think about it? You know, of course I think about it. Every time I think about it, I get sad. So what have I done in the present or since then to take one step toward or forward making up for what I did then? Because I feel awful about what I did. Taking them away from their home. These are emotional creatures. They have feelings and I can't talk about it. It's very sad. And so, what have I done since then? Well, one thing I did was made a commitment to every single animal that ever comes into my life. If I ever get an animal again, I will commit to it. I will treat it like my own kid and I will take care of it. And I don't care if I have to live on the street because I can't have animals. I'm going to keep this animal and take care of it for the rest of its life. I made that commitment. And then, I don't know when, uh, a few years later, I got a cat. And that was my commitment to that cat. And that cat stuck with me for 20 years. And I loved that cat. And we were buddies. We traveled several states together, went through a couple different relationships (laughs) with my partners in life. And uh, he died a few years ago. And he was my best friend, you know, in the animal world. And I stuck with that. And when I was married... My wife got a dog, and I didn't want one, but she got one. And I said, well, my commitment is to take care of this animal and love this animal as if it were my very own. And that's what I did. And I I took care of him until we got a divorce, and she left with the dog, and that's all I could do. I just did the best I could. And, um, you know, I've contributed to animal shelters and things like that. So I've taken steps toward making up for what I did, even though it'll never, ever make up for what I did. And this has helped me move forward. So I still feel bad for what I did, 
but I feel really good for what I've done since then and what I keep doing and the commitment that I've made from that point forward. Because I believe when you've done something wrong, you make up for it every single day from that point forward by doing the right thing. And this has allowed me to stop looking in the rearview mirror. Doesn't mean I never do. Just means I'm not so focused on it anymore. Because when we focus on all the stuff we've done wrong, we don't give ourselves the time and the energy to do the right thing. We're just so focused on what we did wrong. We're just in our own misery. And it's a terrible place to be. And then when somebody comes along and says, you're bad and you're wrong, we take it so personally because we're still in that space. Just like this person. She might still be in this space that she's bad or wrong or stupid or ugly or whatever was instilled in you when you were younger. We have to get out of that space. We have to be self-forgiving. We have to be self-loving. Be compassionate to yourself as if you just found yourself. <laughs> you, you came out of the woodwork. You came from the mountain and you found yourself in this state. You think you're not smart? You're brilliant. You think you're a bad person? You're a great person. This would be your confident self talking to your fearful self, for example. You don't have to split your personality or anything. <laughs> Just giving you an example of what you can do in your inner dialogue, your self-talk. Hey, you know what? You're worthy of respect and kindness. You're worthy of being treated better than this. So what? Everyone else is bowing down to this other person, coming back to this email. You don't have to. You can say, no thanks. I know. Where does that come from? Where's the courage? You might have to reach in and find it. That courage comes from self-worth. That courage comes from knowing that uh, life is way too short to allow toxic people to define who you are and your experience. Life is too short to be around people that make your life miserable. So if they attempt to make your life miserable, you can see it from a different perspective. You can choose to react or not to react. You can tell them to go F off. <laughs> or you can approach them with something I started to say, ultimate love and compassion for them because you know what they're feeling inside. And that might look like this. They say something toxic or they do something toxic and you say, I know you feel that way, but I still love you. I still care about you. And I'm so glad that you're in my life. That, that might be it. What is a toxic person going to say to that? It's going to be befuddling to them. They're going to think, what? I just tried to upset you and you're saying this? How do they respond? How do you, how do you respond to that? If you're toxic, you're, you're listening now. <laughs> if you're toxic and I said, you know what? I don't care. I love you and I am so glad you're in my life and I'm so glad that I got to know you and I just know that you're a beautiful person. I know it. I, I see it every day. Even if you don't see it, I see it every day. The toxic person is going to have a very difficult time with that because maybe no one says that to them. So I've given you a bunch of angles here and I don't know if any of these help, but um, I bet you I've given you some food for thought. So I hope this helps. Thanks for tuning in today and uh, thank you to the person who wrote the email. I, I really do hope uh, things go better or you find a way through this or find ways around it. <laughs> Do your best. Thank you so much for writing, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words 
right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our financial backers, the patrons of the week. They are Walter, Christy, Andy, Leela, Adriana, Barry, Anna, Veronica, Holly, and Vanessa. Thank you so much for your support. These are the uh, monthly patrons, and I read different names every week. I'm so glad you're in the patron program helping to support this show keeping it on its feet <laughs> you are a big part of it thank you so much i am grateful for each and every one of you if you find value in the show like these people do and you want to give back head over to moretob.com and you have options to do that over there thank you again patrons i am so grateful and for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships visit loveandabuse.com that's my other podcast i've been doing it since uh, february of 2019 and um, I think it's an important show if you have any difficulty dealing with challenging people or poisonous people. Uh, people that I talked about today, it can be very challenging and I have a whole slew of good information over there. And uh, check it out if you get a chance, loveandabuse.com. And you heard me talk about it at the very beginning of the show, Healed Being. If you go to healedbeing.com, you can sign up for the first four lessons for free and uh, get a couple Q&As, the questions and answers that I get in that program, and you'll see what it's all about. No credit card required if you are the difficult person in the relationship. If you find that you are doing toxic behavior and you want to change that about yourself, um, whether you're in a relationship or not, this is an A to Z program to help you become the absolute best, in my opinion, the absolute best person you can be uh, for yourself and others. Go to healedbeing.com for more information on that. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And real quick, I'm just going to read you a message that I received. This person wrote, Thank you, Paul, for the response and the podcast. I must have written back, I think. I truly have started to feel better about myself as I continue to listen in and realize that the demons that live within my ex, and this person hates calling them their ex. I, I remember this letter now. It just happened a few weeks ago. They're real, and I didn't do anything to bring this breakup on. My depression is a result of this abandonment. I never saw it coming. She played it all as if everything was normal, and then uh, she left. I miss our relationship. I miss the family, and um, I still can't believe this happened. All I can do now is learn from the success stories from the victims that have persevered through similar episodes. Your podcasts are truly something that I look forward to each night. Thank you so much for writing that. And I read that and I kept out all the uh, details to keep your privacy. But I wanted to read that to you, the person who wrote, because I tell you what, I can totally relate to you. I can totally relate to this. I had a long-term relationship that uh, went from my 20s to my 30s, about 13 years. And when that ended, I my depression went south. It was worse. It was the worst ever. And um, I didn't even know I was depressed. I just felt devoid of any emotions. I, I felt bad, but I wish I could be sad. I wish I could be angry. I wish I could be anything. But depression for me was like not having emotions when you want them. And that's not even the right way to say it. I didn't even want them. It was just 
I mean, if you've ever been depressed, you can probably definitely relate to this. But if you haven't, just imagine what used to make you laugh doesn't anymore. What used to make you sad doesn't anymore. And um, I'm not saying that this person is like that. Maybe they are. But they bring up the abandonment issue. I, I felt abandoned when my partner left me. And um, I felt abandoned previous to that, too, while we were together. And this is something that I have learned to understand more and more about myself over the years. I mean, I'm pretty much healed from that because my fear of abandonment was causing this feeling of abandonment when I was single. And so I had to really dig into this fear of abandonment I have. Why am I afraid of being abandoned? Somebody might say, well, that sounds awful. Nobody wants to be abandoned. And if you heard me talk about this before, drilling down, asking obvious, sometimes stupid questions to dig in to the reasons you have or the reasons you think you have for not wanting something, the uh, question that comes up is, okay, it's possible that no one wants to be abandoned, but why don't you want to be abandoned? Why specifically you? Don't tell me what everyone else is feeling or thinking. Tell me what you are feeling or thinking. Why don't you want to be abandoned? The obvious answer is, well, that's stupid, Paul. (laughs) I don't want to be abandoned. That's just a terrible feeling. Why don't you want to be abandoned? Because I don't want to feel terrible. Why don't you want to feel terrible? (laughs) That's stupid. Again, these are obvious, stupid questions, but... These are the ones I like to ask myself. I like to challenge myself. I like to push myself to the limit. I like to force an answer. Because I really want to know what's in there. I don't think we're born with a lot of these fears. We just develop them later. I mean, I've heard that we have a fear of yelling and a fear of falling down when we're born. I don't know how true that is, but perhaps it is. But I don't think we had a fear of abandonment or a fear of rejection. Now, we might have developed that when mommy or daddy was out of the room too long or we were getting hungry we might have developed this stuff developed these fears I'm not uh, a child psychologist so I can't answer those questions but that's my guess is that these things developed after so many days, weeks, and months after we were born so uh, where does your fear of abandonment come from? so when I asked myself that question after my relationship ended Paul, where did your fear of abandonment come from? So now I had to start thinking about my past and remembering that, wow, I didn't really have a solid father figure in my life. One was an alcoholic and one didn't live near me, so I had to go visit him every now and then. And uh, my mom was way too busy trying to keep the alcoholic, the, my stepfather, out of our lives, my me and my siblings. And uh, so I didn't receive the love I guess from her even though she was loving I felt like I needed more from her I don't know but I remember being an introvert uh, since I was very young I mean there was a kid up the road that always bullied me I was like I don't know 9 or 10 and it was uh, one like my second friend ever but he really wasn't a friend he was just a bully and that was the only kid in the neighborhood to play with and I didn't want to play with him and he would come over and want to play with me So uh, (laughs) I had to play with him because I felt afraid to say no. 
And um, I think from that point on, I didn't want anybody in my life as a friend, you know, even though I made friends and I still have friends. But I think that's what helped create my introversion is having this other person in my life uh, always demanding time of me, demanding my energy, demanding my attention. And so I think I started being more attracted to being more alone. And that felt good to me, being alone. And <laughs> I could tell you stories about me walking for miles alone at a young age, which nobody should do or allow a child to do <laughs> nowadays, but uh, even then. But I did. I was That was me. I would walk for miles and miles. So my fear of abandonment, where does that come from? Because I enjoyed being alone. And so I'm taking you through a, a thinking process, how to get to these fears, how to dive in, dig in, drill down, so that you understand yourself a lot more because what ends up happening is when we have a, any adult relationship or even when we're not in a relationship, any type of fear or dysfunction that affects us in a negative way, you know, not, not everything affects us in a negative way, but any type of fear or dysfunction that affects us in a negative way, you should know enough about to understand why it affects you in a negative way. You should, and this is my opinion, you should know why something affects you in a negative way. You should know why you're afraid. I mean, again, this is my opinion, but it's helpful. It's really helpful so that you don't hinder your personal growth and development, so that you don't hinder your happiness. I think happiness gets hindered when we don't address what we're holding on to and that stuff that we fear and those dysfunctions that we might still have inside of us, uh, those things tend to occupy our minds more than peace and comfort and happiness. And then that may not be your goal, but one of my goals is to have peace and have comfort and be happy. And all of these things don't have to happen at the same time and they don't have to be permanent feelings all the time. They just have to exist in some way, shape, or form most of the time. That's not always how it goes, but that's what I would like. And so when some negative feeling comes up and it it bugs me and it stops me from feeling peaceful or happy or comfortable, I like to explore it. And exploring it actually helps me get over it doesn't mean it's going to go away. I mean, it's hard when, like, this person had a breakup. It's hard when the person that you were with for a long time goes away because a part of you is in them and a part of them is in you and you have an identity together. And so part of your identity goes. And when a part of your identity goes, you have to fill that part that's gone up. You have to fill it with something else. You have to refill it with something else. This is what I was talking about earlier. When something's missing inside of you, you have to fill what's missing. You have to fill that gap. And it's usually self-love, self-care, self-compassion. But um, sometimes it's just friendship. Sometimes it's getting into another relationship. Paul, that sounds like a rebound. <laughs> it could be, but sometimes that works. I'm not going to say that you shouldn't have a rebound. I'm not going to say that at all. You just have to be careful. Take things slowly. 
know that you might be feeling something like that, a rebound, or you might be looking to have somebody refill what is not filled inside of you. And just be aware of this stuff. This is why it's important to explore this stuff. Sometimes rebounds turn into relationships. Sometimes you do what I did. After my divorce, I decided to stay single. I mean, after a month of trying to rebound, (laughs) I decided, uh, wait, I should probably stay single because I have stuff to work on. Because I don't want to bring this nasty feeling that I'm having inside myself, this unhealed old trauma or fear. I don't want to bring that into another relationship. So I need to stay single. And that was the first time in my life I discovered myself. Who am I without someone else in my life? And who am I when I'm not thinking about getting someone else in my life? I didn't know that person. Sometimes we discover who we are when nobody else is around. That's something that um, I learn every day sometimes because I'll go outside and, um, you know, step away from my home office and step away from my girlfriend who also works from home. So we are basically in each other's thoughts and in each other's proximity all the time. And we both get along great, but we still don't know who we are until we ground ourselves and connect with ourselves and be with ourselves in a way that isn't influenced negatively or positively by anyone else. Who are you without anyone else in your life? No partner, no friends, no family, no kids. Who are you? How do you think? What do you think? What do you want to do? I remember I asked a friend of ours, Uh, what would you do if your kids were growing up and they moved out and you weren't married anymore? I didn't say, you know, got divorced or he died. I didn't say any of that. I said, what would you do if you were no longer in that role as a wife and a mother? What would you do? And boy, she came up with an answer so fast. (laughs) She said, oh, I would travel. I thought, wow, that's great. She knows herself. She knows what she wants. I don't know if that hinders her, her happiness or not, meaning you know, she is married and she has kids, but I'm sure she's happy with those things in her life too. But she knew who she was because when I asked her, she had an immediate answer. If somebody asked me that, like, okay, Paul, no girlfriend and you have to sell the house and uh, you basically are on your own. You're down here in Georgia by yourself. What do you do? I can't even go there right now. I can't think. I guess I would go see my family, but do I want to live up there? I, I, I don't know. That means I need to connect with myself probably a little bit more. I haven't really thought about that. I've been kind of more of a present moment kind of guy, and I'm not saying that if you don't know it's wrong, because I don't know and I don't think it's wrong, but I'm thinking about this now, and I am a present moment kind of guy. I do take... Uh, things day by day. Because tomorrow may not exist. My girlfriend may not exist tomorrow. It's sad to think about, but it's possible. The world may not exist tomorrow. So I want to enjoy what I have today. But what if what you have today is not so enjoyable? Like this person who wrote, depressed. I totally get it. If you're in that depressed state, this is where I think, okay, there's a time to grieve. Absolutely. When you lose something that you care about, you have to grieve. I believe that grieving has to include all your thoughts. 
<laughs> everything that you're thinking. I love them so much and uh, I'm so mad at them. But I love them and I want to just scream. Then you might have to scream. You might have to just swear and scream and say how much you hate things or how much you wish things were different. Sometimes you have to go through that expression to get it out of your system. With my depression, you may have heard this before if you've listened a while, with my depression, I had to touch upon the thought that I might be holding on to something that I didn't want to hold on to or I didn't know I was holding on to. And my healing from my depression started with a breakdown. And this is a minor breakdown. This is me uh, falling to the floor on my knees, crying and screaming about how much I hated my stepfather. And that was the very first day, the very first day of healing, uh, of inner expression, giving what I was holding on to for many, many years, giving that a voice. And that voice was my tears and my words and just letting it out and allowing myself to feel what I felt. Depression is going to be different for everyone, but uh, know there is a way out and it's important to allow yourself to um, allow yourself to feel things, allow yourself to think things, allow what's deep down to come up. And you might have to explore a little bit. This is why the deeper drill down questions are important. You might have to explore it. Some people get abused by one parent, but hate the other parent for not protecting them. And they may not want to hate the other parent because uh, that wasn't the abuser. And so they stop themselves from having feelings that they're feeling. That is a depressing thing to do. There's so much more. I've talked about depression quite a bit, and um, I wanted to at least give you a start, give you a head start on this to the person who wrote so that you have something to think about and also let you know that I can totally empathize with you. I am in that space with you. I remember what it's like. I feel for you. And I also know that you're going to get through it. It sucks, believe me. I am with you there. But you're going to get through it. You'll make it. You're worthy. You're lovable. You are significant. And no matter what happens in life, that never changes. That's a constant. Think of that as a constant, like in math and computer programming. There are constants. A constant is something that never changes. So you can say X equals 12. And every time you use X in your program, it's always 12. Always. So you equals worthy. That's just a fact. It's a constant. You equals lovable. You equals equals significant and there's something else I want to tell you <laughs> and I want you to keep an open mind because that's how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want always take steps to grow and evolve you are powerful beyond measure and above all and this is something I absolutely know to be true it is a constant it is a universal constant it is a cosmic truth you are amazing Thank you.